When you think of pirates, the first place you think of probably isn't southern China. A region with a long and fascinating history, China's South maintains its own identity, social, cultural, historical, and otherwise distinct and separate from the North. Two southern Chinese stereotypes are their international, outward-facing attitude and the independence of their women. Perhaps in no one figure are these two ideals better symbolized than in Shi Yang, a prostitute turned pirate with a truly incredible story. Riding the wave of an expanding pirate presence in the region, Shi Yang became so much more than a pirate captain. Acting as an admiral, governor, legislator, and key player in international politics, this is the story of Shi Yang, the prostitute turned pirate queen. This is Wars of the World. Ching Shi, literally meaning Madame Ching, was a feared pirate leader by the time of her death, commanding a raiding and trading empire by the time she died. By some estimates, she commanded over 300 junks, crewed by up to 40,000 pirates. Compare this for a second to some of the more famous Caribbean pirates. Edward Teach, known as Blackbeard, commanded no more than 300 men at any time. Shi Yang was no ordinary pirate captain. She was a pirate queen. Despite this incredible power, Madame Ching had desperately humble origins, working as a prostitute in her youth. The story of her meteoric rise is one of the most incredible tales in the history of piracy and war on the high seas. Born in 1775 in the Guangzhou province in China's subtropical south, little is known about the life of this woman before her involvement in piracy a common theme among our plunder-facilitated social climbers covered in this series. What we do know is that in 1790, aged only 15, she was captured from the coast by pirates and sold to a brothel. Still living in her hometown, Shi Ying now lived a cruel existence as a prostitute, held captive and forced to work under incredibly poor conditions on a brothel based on a ship. We can only imagine how painful it must have been to be able to see, from the windows of that floating prison, her old home and family still going about their lives. This cruel fate boggles the mind. It is no surprise that most women faltered, falling into ruin and despair. However, Shi Yang clearly possessed incredible emotional fortitude. Rather than growing despondent or wasting energy putting up futile resistance to her cruel overseers, she used her cunning and guile. She used her desperate situation to her advantage, coaxing valuable information from her customers, often some of Southern China's richest and most powerful, using methods that, if we discussed, would demonetize this video. She then leveraged these invaluable secrets, soon rising through the ranks of the brothel and running a smuggling operation on the side. By 1801, she owned the brothel where she'd been a slave. Now she could live the easy life. But Shi Yang was a hard woman, calculating and deliberate. She wasn't going to stop just there. 
Within a year, she stunned locals when she marries Cheng the First, the notorious pirate leader, heir to a family empire of maritime crime dating back to the mid-17th century. He, along with many other South China pirates, took advantage of the civil wars in neighboring Vietnam, supporting claimants to the throne and winning concessions for it. With hundreds of ships and thousands of men under his commands, this guy was pirate royalty, a real catch for a social climber. The question remains as to whether this marriage was based on romance or business. It is impossible to know for sure, and both are highly plausible. Xi Yang was beautiful, Cheng I may have fallen deeply in love. Alternatively, Xi Yang was well-connected, with contacts and influence across China's south, the hard-earned reward of years as a prostitute, engaging in intimate pillow talk with customers. Such a well-connected woman could prove the perfect partner for Cheng I, whose crime empire was often deeply involved with governmental affairs. There was also the chance that she was just abducted, having no say in the matter at all. We simply don't know, but wait until you hear the rest of the story before you decide which you believe. The events of the next few years might just change your mind. But returning to this point in Shi Yang's life, the match between her and Cheng I would reshape history. Unusually, the marriage was a highly formalized affair, backed up by a formal contract. In this contract, Ching Shi was given a 50% controlling stake in Cheng I's businesses. Following a spree of alliance-making and hostile takeovers absorbing other pirate organizations, this made Ching Shi and Chen I the leaders of a vast coalition of fleets, numbering as much as 400 junks and 70,000 men. Known as the Red Flag Fleet, this armada represented one of the most powerful forces in all of China. In fact, in terms of manpower and number of vessels, it rivaled the navies of entire nations like France and Spain. As far as the social ladder in Qing China went, Qing Shi had climbed from the very bottom to the very top, and she was only just getting started. In 1807, everything would change. Cheng I died in northern Vietnam, lost at sea during a tsunami. Although some accounts claim he was murdered, perhaps even poisoned by his wife. Either way, after her husband's death, Ching Shi immediately got busy. She needed to, for China remained highly patriarchal, and the sharks were circling. Many of the pirate bosses and family dynasties would quite literally kill for control of the massive red flag fleet, by this point consisting of 800 large junks and 1,000 smaller ones. Whoever controlled this fleet would immediately catapult themselves and their cronies into one of the most powerful positions in all of China. During this transitional period, Ching Shi truly shines as an incredible leader. Surrounded by uncertainty and intrigue from all sides, she managed to retain her own position, taking command of the crime empire, whilst maintaining the unity of the coalition throughout. She remarried, shrewdly teaming up with her ex-husband's adopted son. Unified, her invigorated empire proved unstoppable. The fact that this new husband was an excellent admiral and had links to British traders, from whom he now procured modern cannons, certainly didn't hurt. 
Raiding camps, ships, and towns across the coasts and rivers of China's south, the Red Flag Pirates robbed towns from Canton to Macau. To those who wanted to avoid such plunder, protection fees were gathered, in some areas becoming so formalized they amounted to attacks on all goods and services. When a group or town resisted, raising armies, they were defeated, and all adult males living there were executed or taken as slaves. From this brutal control, Qingxi became notorious and unimaginably wealthy. As one historian put it, quote, Pirates consciously used violence and brutality to obtain money and goods, to seek vengeance against their enemies, and to instill fear in anyone who might resist them. With money flowing in fast, Qingxi had enough authority to reshape how the pirates operated. Strict rules were instituted, demanding that all looted goods were counted and inspected by the pirate officials, who would then take an 80% cut. 80% tax is a high tax. How did Shi Yang convince her Chinese pirates to tolerate such a measure? Well, those found breaking this law were instantly beheaded. And that wasn't the only rule. All had to obey orders from the top, down to the letter. The punishment if they didn't, beheading. Nobody was to steal from villages friendly to the pirates. What happened if they did, beheading. There were even special rules for the treatment of female captives, rules which punished rape and even consensual sex while on duty. Break this rule and yes, instant beheading. Shi Yang, once in charge, was keen on getting her house in order, earning herself the nickname the Terror of South China, among not only the people she stole from, but the pirates who served her too. But with riches came the attention from the central government. The Red Flag Fleet had become not just wealthy and powerful, but in many areas across the coast acted more like a government than the Qing themselves. This could not be allowed to continue. In 1808, a number of large battles were fought by the Qing government against the pirates. Ultimately, the pirates prevailed, capturing government ships and forcing them to rely on fishing vessels for battle. The pirates were too numerous, too well organized, and too connected to be fully crushed. Then came the Western powers, competing for control of the area, attempting to weaken the grip of Madame Ching's Red Flag fleet by organizing bounty hunters to attack pirate forces. Despite this, in 1809, an officer of the British East India Company was captured with his vessel. Britain might rule the waves, but that wouldn't stop Madame Ching from ruling the South China Seas. Unable to defeat the pirates in battle, the Ching changed their tactics. They would attempt to nullify the pirate threat through the same methods invaders had been nullified for centuries of Chinese history, integration. If Qing Shi could be enticed to join the imperial court, her forces could be used to strengthen the Qing, ending piracy, and helping the government address the growing power of the Europeans in the region. Both Beijing and Europe were eager to crush the pirates and fill the power vacuum in the rich and strategic Pearl River Delta. The opening for this came a few years after the all-out assault of 1808, with some former allies starting to turn against the Red Flag fleet. Qing Shi was pressed on all sides. Worse still, the Portuguese, following a string of defeats, were finally asserting themselves from their base in Macau. 
having continuously reinforced their fleet, equipping more and more ships with modern cannons and explosive shells, the Portuguese started to gain the upper hand. On November the 29th, they sank 15 ships in a drawn-out nine-hour battle at sea. In retaliation, that December, one of Madame Ching's admirals amassed a huge fleet of 300 ships with a total of 1,500 guns and as many as 20,000 men, all to flush the Portuguese out of Macau. The Battle of the Tiger's Mouth had begun. The Portuguese sailed out to face them. The Forest of Junks, the name for Chinese-style ships, assembled before them must have been intimidating for one observer describes how no sea could be seen, so great was the size of the opposing fleet. That size would prove a disadvantage, however. The red flag vessels, crowded and obstructing one another's firing paths, could hardly fire on the Portuguese, who easily utilized their better cannons to fire into the mass of boats assembled before them. When the largest junk, upon which a towering pagoda had been built, was sunk, the remaining fleet dispersed. The Portuguese blockaded the mouth of the River Delta for two entire weeks. On January 21st, 1809, the Admiral surrendered himself and his fleet, gaining amnesty for the crews that served under him, permission to keep all his loot, and a plush government job to boot. With this catastrophic defeat, Shi Yang saw the writing on the wall. With new Western technology, the strength of her fleet, the source of her power in the region, was fast becoming obsolete. Her alliances were faltering. Fortunately, the Qing didn't know that, and with Westerners moving in, the Chinese emperor was more eager than ever to give amnesty on favorable terms. She made the switch, ending her life as a pirate and crime boss and joining China's elite. She secured pardon for all the pirates, allowing them to keep their ill-gotten gains, as well as getting some lucrative official posts for the more senior of them, her husband included. She also had her marriage officially recognized, despite a Qing law against the remarrying of widows. From that point on, she became Qing Shi, the legitimate businesswoman, owner of 120 vessels, used in the slate trade, and operator of a Macau gambling house. She lived in luxury until her death in 1844, where she passed away in Macau, her bed surrounded by family members and loved ones. So the prostitute with no name came to be the most feared and greatest sea captain of all time, the terror of the South Sea. Wanted, ruined, or dead by all, Chinese and foreign alike, she escaped unpunished and alive and thrived into old age. That is the incredible story of Xing Qi, undoubtedly one of the greatest pirates who ever lived. And there you have the tale of the terror of the South Sea. Please leave a comment down below with your own thoughts and reactions, and remember to like this video and subscribe to support the channel. Thank you for watching, and I'll see you next time.